thinking about your financial planning? In this episode, Rad CEO Dutch Mendenhall has an extensive conversation with financial planner and investment advisor, Nate Goat. Listen to them talk in depth about the true meaning of wealth, self-improvement, time management, life balance, and so much more in this discussion you don't want to miss. Asymmetrical bets. Again, typically as risk and reward go up, like the more you risk, the more potential return. Um, it's not always the case. And so there's sometimes asymmetrical risk reward where you don't take incremental risk, but the return profile, you can get rewarded still and vice versa. There's some things where you take incremental risk, but the reward is very, very small. And so I started just looking at our financial structure and how a lot of people are investing their money and just saying like, I don't like some of the ways that it's been done for the last 50 years. I don't want to do that with my own money. And what are my alternatives? Right here, right now on the Rad Podcast, Explore Wealth. Well, what's up, everybody? So I got Nate Goad here, who's a, a personal friend, and he's kind of like a go-to guy that people with wealth, people with money go to and say, what do I do? How do I invest? Where do I put my money? He's a financial advisor, wealth advisor, right? But but more than a financial and wealth advisor, I think Nate's unique niche or niche, right? is that that he understands what people should do with money and he in from an alternative standpoint right mm. not just mainstream wall street hey go throw your money in in the 10 you know you know funds and 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 hope you know that you're going to get a return or ride ride that like he invests in real estate he invests in other alternative investments and he invests in what he asks or tells his people to invest in which i think makes him unique um and something i felt fell in love with was the fact that that's kind of our model right we invest in anything we ask our people to invest in so you know, Nate, people come to you, um, the investors you've brought to our REIT and our portal have been, you know, great members of our tribe and community. So, you know, you're going to, I'm going to just, this is a little different because you're not a person who likes to sell yourself. Yeah. You're not a person who likes, you know, to, to brand yourself and everything else. You just have this deep network and this deep knowledge of wealth. And so let, let's dive in and, and, you know, um, you know, you know, tell people, you know, anything else you'd tell them about yourself. I want to say thank you for having me. Uh, it means a lot. It's been great to to get to know you as a friend, and I guess that's that's one of the things that I've really valued as a relationship, and you know, understanding where capital is going, but also who are making the decisions. And so I really got enjoyed getting to know you um, as a friend. Um, so so who am I? As you said, Nate, I've been in the investment industry for about fifteen years. And I guess my journey really started, I would say, in college, where. I wanted to understand investments more for myself. And so that just started with like, hey, getting getting to to know it, reading books, uh, personal finance. Um, and now for me, like second generation, it's it's something I'm teaching my kids. So I'm, I'm a dad. I've got a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 5-year-old, 3-year-old, and one more coming in January. So life is full. And they're all blonde-haired and pretty. <laughs> they get it from their mom. Uh, they get it from their mom. So yes, very, very fortunate. And they've got good, uh, good height and athletic genes from their mom as well. So, but it's been, it's been something about 15 years in, in the industry. Uh, I'm a certified financial planner. Um, what, what I say is it's really my role to help people understand anything that can impact their wealth. And so many people just focus on investments. Investments is one piece of it, but I look at things like titling and entity structuring and taxes, taxes, like that's all stuff where I feel I can differentiate myself because I can really quantify that. Um, when it comes to the stock market, like the stock market's going to do what the stock market's going to do. And I don't feel it's really easy to add value from one person to the next. But <clears throat> as you get into alternatives, as you get into some of those creative strategies, I really 
feel like that's an area where I can move the needle a lot. And, you know, for, for me, 15 years in the industry, coming up on two years being on my own. And so this is all stuff I've had to figure out myself. You know, what does it look like to go from a W-2 income where you've got that steady paycheck to like I'm eating what I'm, you know, what I kill. All the tax planning, all the structuring, like what does that all look like? So I'm, I'm kind of walking through that. And then I've got a group of people that I'm helping along the way as well. Yeah, it's really cool. You know, that journey of, of where you're at, right, in college is such a conversation for people, right? When you were talking about you're already looking at investing and you're looking at, you know, my kids are generational, right, when it comes to, to wealth as well, but very, very different in the sense that, like, when I was in college, like, money was the problem, mm-hmm. right? Like, being poor was the problem. And, and so, like, like, growing up poor, growing up, you know, in dysfunction, right, I, I didn't even have, I didn't know what credit score was, right? Um, I didn't have a credit card till I was, you know, in my mid, mid to late twenties, yeah. you know? And so I didn't, in my acceleration has been, had to be, you know, obviously really fast to be, you know, who I am today. Now making money, it's generational for me, right? My parents were good at making money, mm-hmm. but as far as wealth, you know, it's, 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 it's different. And so talk a little bit about the concept of wealth and, 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 and kind of what that means, what that means to you. And maybe I'll share the same. Yeah. And, and. I mean, I, I come from a similar background as you. My dad actually um, was a pastor. And so, you know, I can remember growing up like my, my parents were good from the fact of like talking about give, save, spend. But, you know, saving like I, I teach my kids around investing or growing money. So it's very, very different. So it's all stuff that I, I had to learn. And um, <clears throat> one of the most kind of impactful moments in my life is I can remember being probably nine or 10 years old. I was at the baseball field. We had one car. I grew up one of five kids and I can remember I was waiting for my parents to pick me up and they were late because five kids, one vehicle all over the place. And I, I remember sitting there, I just had this desire. I was like, man, I want to make money and I want to make money so I can take care of those I love. So I can also be very generous in giving. And I look back like to that eight, nine, 10 year old kid. And like, there are these seeds of wealth that were kind of placed in me there that have, you know, now grown for the last 30 years. You know, I, I guess my view on wealth uh, is it's so much more than money. You know, people look at sometimes and define it purely in monetary terms. Um, I think that's a component of it. I was actually having this conversation yesterday with with a friend who's building a business. And I said, like, for me, I've made strategic decisions that I want to have time freedom and I want to spend a lot of time with my kids. And so I've created kind of my business in a way that 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 is is a piece of it. So for me, I would say like wealth would be looking at it spiritually. It'll be looking at, you know, health. It'd be looking at time freedom and money would be a component of it. But I think it's so much more than just money. And I feel like I've seen so many people that have done very, very well financially, but it's cost them something. Or, you know, you look at kind of the next generation and there's issues there. Um, And so for me, I guess that perspective is like wealth and money is a part, but it's so much more broad. I mean, for some people that don't, like, I don't know that the, the word they don't care isn't, isn't necessarily the right way to describe it, but like, what's the point for me of building tremendous wealth if you screw up your kids, mm-hmm. right? And, and, but then I also go back to we're all going to screw up our kids, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so it, it, it's an interesting dynamic, you know, for me finding that balance. Right before I had my kids, while I was building, you know, my businesses, right? I actually went and coached college baseball for two years, right? And, and was, you know, leaving, leaving the office at one o'clock every day and going and coaching baseball. And then suddenly I had two kids and my wife's like, okay, you can't run, you know, an empire of business and coach, coach college baseball, you know? And 
now though i see myself replacing a lot of that time with work versus time and energy with my children and so finding that you know unique balance and seeking yep. that presence with my kids is is incredibly important you know it, it's fascinating because you know for me you know you grew up in a christian household right and and so there's some definitely some rules when it comes to money there's some balances when it comes to money in my household it was you know we never had one car you know my dad you know was partial owner in a used dealership so we might have had five cars mm -hmm. right that cycled in and out but constantly broke down right but they couldn't keep the dealership because of their addictions right and that's just one of you know many businesses. so it was always there was always that teaching of well here's you know here's how you you know advertise a business or here's how you make money in business yeah. here's how you do do this there was never that other side to the equation because it's only half the equation is making the money is half yes. of it, but the other half is keeping it yep. and then putting and then putting it to work. For me, when I look at wealth, we all have incomes, but to me, wealth is the income that's made from your non-work. And 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 so for me, like even as my income goes up, that's actually less important to me in some ways than the money I make from my my non my non work mm -hmm. and and the passive passivity of of investments the passivity yeah. of my real estate passivity of different things and so for me true my true wealth is built upon non non effort and and that's kind of a really it's kind of a interesting interesting way of way of looking at it no and that really resonates i mean when you're talking around that i think you're like the richest man of babylon you One know of my favorite books principles of like enlisting part of your money to, to work for you and what does that look like as far as growing and i mean quite frankly like this career switch for me um from again w2 into doing your own thing like i've looked at it and like i really wrestled with like what am i building <clears throat> and i feel like maybe six months ago i had this image just come into mind with like a like a hub and 10 spokes and each of those spokes would be a different revenue stream and a lot of those are are passive and so again like if i want to generate x a month and passive income from a portfolio of real estate, like how much do I have to have deployed to do that? Well, okay. I want to slow down for everybody. So if, if nobody caught that, right, he said an image came to him. And so, you know, as is for me, that's something important to understand is that, that lots of times people don't listen to themselves. They don't listen to the world. They don't know how to read themselves. They don't know how to read the world. Right. And, and, and part of that's discernment, but part of that's understanding, you know, path and, and destiny and, and, and and, and generation and so like i just want to talk about that for a minute because I, I do float tanks i do deprivation tanks i do meditation right things too um like if i if i'm going 90 miles an hour mm. for you know two weeks straight and i haven't i haven't had that 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 downtime i'm, I'm literally spending time at the the, the wrong the wrong way because there's only one thing that can make i say if i don't if i don't if i'm not producing a hundred thousand dollars an hour for my team and my employees, and then somebody's gonna lose a job, and and then there is also no future to yeah. the company, right? Because it has to go from a hundred thousand to a million dollars an hour for, for for what I'm I'm building, mm -hmm. and but that only comes from the mind, right? Mm -hmm. it, I mean systems, processes, but none of those things exist without the first the thought of it, and so I, I hunker down to that. What do you do to 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 create that state? I think for me a shift around kind of getting into that space. It's just been a realization. Again, this, this comes from my faith. Um, I look at, you know, in scripture, it talks about like the good shepherd and like we're sheep. And so having this understanding that like the shepherd is constantly speaking to me and starting from the default, like it's easy to hear the shepherd's voice. 
And so I think for me, it was first a mindset of realizing like, I have all this stuff that's constantly going in my mind. If I stop and create space, a lot of times like this stuff is there and I can grab it and realize, but starting from that default um, of, you know, God is constantly speaking to me and I need to, I need to one, pay attention and two, I need to grab it and figure out what, what do I do with it? I think that was kind of the default for me. I think practically what that looks like is actually creating space. Um, and so again, like there's so and much. That's, and that's a dangerous though, right? Because so, when you create space, people want to fill the void yeah, and they want to fill the space, right? And so like you could, you can create the space and suddenly it's TV mm-hmm. or you could create the space and suddenly it could be addictions, right? Different, different types of addictions. Cause a lot of people will like, instead of creating space, they escape. Right? And, and there's, and the lines, you know, where the, where the unhealthy path, and it can even be a healthy creation of space, whether it's exercise of other things, but to really take things to another level, you got to create the space and leave the space. Yes. And that's, that, that, there's for me where, where, where the challenge comes in sometimes. Well, and I think there's like a filtering of like, Hey, where is my time going? I mean, time is a finite resource. And so again, like we can all, we all have the same 24 hours. How am I spending that? And I think for me, it's, it's just a realization that like, there's things that aren't, aren't good things or not bad things. Are they taking me in a direction where they want to go? And like, I'll, I'll use this example. Like I'm a type A driven collegiate athlete, whatever I do, like I want to be the best at. And so what does that look like? All right. If I get some stupid app on my phone, like I want to be number one in the world. <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, how much time have I wasted? doing something that doesn't matter or money yeah. or money. Yeah. And so I think there's kind of a filtering process to, to and you'll look. justify it too. Yes. You'd be like, while I'm playing this game, you know, I'm getting better at politics and I'm understanding, you know, dynamics of culture yeah. and these different things. And I'm learning how to master these pieces and you can, you can make those excuses. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, I've done that. <laughs> we So, so for me, it's been just like kind of filtering and saying like, Hey, you know, is this, is this getting me closer to where I want to go as far as, you know, father or husband, you know, a business person, or is this taking me farther? And, you know, I'm not saying like, man, you know, we're not perfect. Netflix, like all, all that stuff. Like I do all of that, but it, again, it's gotta be within, within reason. And so, you know, if you just look at statistically how much time people spend in front of the TV, like it's mind blowing to say like, man, we're wasting so much time in our life that we could be doing other stuff. Now for me to say that, that boardwalk empire or Sopranos has no influence on me as far as a business person would be, you know, I'd be lying. Right. <laughs> and I, you know, like there's been different shows over the years, like billions, right. Suits. There's been different shows over the years for me that I've watched and uh, Yellowstone. Right. I mean, I literally bought my first farm. Right. And like, like a month and a half later, I started watching Yellowstone and I'm like, man, QRPs. Yeah, man, this, this stuff on like, this is like some real stuff in farming that I'm learning, but you know, I, I would say that, you know, people would say as, as you're building wealth and you're watching TV, it, 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 there's a, you can make it productive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I would say, that, but we feel guilt. You know, when I'm not working during the day, sometimes I feel guilt, you know, and, and, and over the years I had to learn to, you know, put things in space so that I could create, 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 create that space, space, yeah. space for myself. So what are your, as we're on the topic, what are your biggest uh, TV or movie influence? influences when it comes to wealth when it comes to wealth I, yeah, I, or just I, comes to business entrepreneurialism well, I, mean, I think success i think for me um you know shows like shark tank or uh the profit just understanding how businesses work mm-hmm. and and seeing 
I feel like in, in this stage of life, I'm able to take structuring of businesses, raising capital and investor psyche and understand like the lenses from a, a bunch of different angles. Um, and so I, I think for me, like looking at some of those shows, I mean, I think they're just fun and I didn't really start watching him to say like, Hey, my business acumen, I want to, I want to increase, but that just kind of happens. Those have been influential for me as far as like just understanding different types of businesses and not all businesses are created equal. Uh, and again, like what is the purpose? And I'm actually having this conversation with, with a friend of mine who um, has built a very large company, probably 200 employees now, and has all these vertical integrations where he's like, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. Well, at the very start of that entity creation, we're saying like, what what's the end game for this? Like, is it to kick off cash? Is it just to you know provide you kind of an annuity of income? Are you building this to sell it? And I think depending on what those answers are and, you know, for some of these they are going to be built to sell. And so we're actually taking it a step further to say like, hey, here's a merger and acquisitions group that sells companies in this industry. Tell us, one, what is going to make it the most valuable and two, what size it needs to be at to be attractive to the kind of the market that's out there. So um, I guess those shows have been uh, hugely impactful for me. There's businesses built to collect assets, mm -hmm. i.e. Brad Diversified REIT. There's businesses that are built to collect um, cash flow. There's businesses that are built to kick off, you know, income. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's different there's different types of, of of structures for sure when it comes to to company. And then a lot of people are like, well, I'm just a small person. Like I'm opening this business, you know, a print yeah. shop, or I'm opening this and I'm just trying to survive, or I'm opening this e-commerce and I'm just trying to survive, right? Yeah. And they don't start thinking that way. And but the reason they got into opening a business most of the time in the first place was to have freedom. Yes. But they're creating their own jail cell sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I think, um, there's not, there's nothing wrong with saying like, Hey, the business, this business for me is I'm going to enjoy doing this and this can provide a lifestyle for my family. And, and I don't want to grow at large. I think that's okay. And you know, not everyone is called to, to build the, the rad diversifies of the world or to build a company that's going to go public. There's a lot that goes into that. And there's a lot, um, there's a cost associated with that as well. And so, you know, we had a, we, we did a panel recently I was on and everyone on the panel had moved from kind of corporate America to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, this has all been our path. It's not everyone's path. Like some people, the, the niche is better. Like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to hook my, you know, train to a great company and I'm pushing forward as an employee. And I think that's okay. That's so, what I said as a kid. Yeah. I said, <laughs> with all my parents, entrepreneurialism, with all this stuff, I said, I'm going to find a good company. I'm going to, you know, be conservative in, in my actions. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go to school, finish, finish school. I'm going to work my way up the corporate ladder and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, grind my way through. Cause as lots of times I just felt, you know, I just didn't want that life. Right. But what I didn't realize is it's like certain things you're born to be and born to do. Um, like for me, entrepreneurialism, real estate, like I didn't really, no matter what I tried to do to get away from it or what I tried to, that's just who I was in, in, in my DNA. And I think for different people, there's different, there's definitely different paths when it comes to what success is, but wealth doesn't matter whether you're an entrepreneur, um, which I know you deal with a lot of entrepreneurs, um, or you're a professional, you know, yeah. or you're a person who's trying to figure out, figure it out for the first time. It's yeah. still, you know, uh, a goal that, that, that people attain. I, one of the things I always say, and I'm curious what you think is, because it goes different to, to traditional budgeting traditional kind of christians statements and saying is 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 they and as is they'll say you know 10 percent, 10 percent, 10 percent, right and 
you know, 10% is, you know, obviously needs to go to savings um, and, and 10% needs to go to investing and 10% needs to go to, you know, tithing and, you know, some, some of the different rules with that. And I will typically always do the tithing, but then I always believe that the, the, the next money has to go into expanding people's ability to earn. And, and it's something that, that I think goes contrary to a lot of, a lot of mindsets. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if somebody tells me they have, you know, $5,000 to their name and I say, well, if that $5,000 is invested today, 30 years from now, you know, at a 10% return, I said, I, I still, it's not a lot of money. Yeah. But my belief has always been, well, if they can, you know, earn an extra $20,000 a year, or they can earn an extra 30,000 or you earn an extra hundred thousand dollars a year. Now, you know, they can put 20% to work. They can put 30% to work. Right. Cause yeah. for me, I'm putting 50, at least 50% of all my income gets put to work. And so it's not, you know, like 10, 10 and 10, it's, it's, mm -hmm. you know, 50, you're right, 20, 20. And then, you know, we live off 30%, you know, and, and that's kind of how we look, we look at yeah. life. I don't know. How do you balance yours? I mean, I, I, what you said aligns with me, I guess my, I'll put on my certified financial planner hat for a minute. I would say the one caveat is, um, like, like for me, giving is first and that's the first dollars and it's just representative. Always. Like, I've been given this ability to earn. It's not my own ability. And so again, like to me, like that's showing like, okay, well I'm going to, to give first. And, you know, I also keep all my finances open to, if I feel led to do something like, okay, well here's someone in need. Like I want to be able to meet that need. And that's one of the primary reasons I want to have wealth is to be able to meet needs. Like I, I remember what it was like to, to have groceries show up on our doorstep and that's how we ate. Like I've, I've seen that. And so again, I'm like, Hey, if I can meet that other the need for someone. Um, it's huge. I think you also need to have some kind of a base and that base can be small just to say like, Hey, call it your rainy day fund, um, emergency fund, whatever that looks like. Just to say like, if things hit the fan, like I don't have to put on a credit card, you know, I don't get, get behind the eight ball with that. From there, I have this conversation with entrepreneurs all the time what they're going to be able to create from reinvesting in their business or building. Like you can't do that through passive real estate. You can't do that through the stock market, the returns that you're going to get from that. It's the biggest earner. Now the flip side of that is it requires them as well. And so again, I'm having this conversation with, with a buddy of mine who's building companies and saying like, you want to do both. Like let's put some money that's going to grow passively for you in real estate. And then let's also build up the value of these companies because again, what you're going to create from that, from your expertise, skill set, uh, and money you invest, it's going to yield a much higher return, but it's also, you got to do the work. I mean, so, you know, I, I went through many different versions or many different phases, right. As an entrepreneur. And I'll tell you one of the, the, the most important things that I learned and a lot of people, you know, maybe it goes partially to what you're saying, but also partially against what you're saying is pay yourself. Right. And that was that was that was a difficult thing for me in the beginning, because in the beginning, you know, I usually, you know, whatever it took me to live was was all I lived yeah. off of. Yep. And I went through, you know, different phases with my business. And, you know, I think, you know, I remember when I was still doing a consultant and I remember, you know, rise and falls as a consultant and, and big clients and then and then non big clients and those things. And what I came came to realize is is by paying myself you kind of become a different person in the sense there's, there's a, a way you approach business. There's a way you approach life. Right. And if you're living in survival mode, right. Which is just paying yourself enough to survive. Mm -hmm. You don't make the same kind of decisions as when you're paying yourself 
enough to 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 live right yeah. and there's a difference between surviving and 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 living and i'm not talking about you know you you rob your business in order to 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 pay yourself but i am saying you have to me you have to pay yourself yeah and 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 then a chunk of that money you can decide what to do with it from there you know um if if you don't do that i think you set your business up for 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 being you being dependent on it mm-hmm. and you make different decisions when 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 you're dependent on the business versus the business's best decisions for what's the business and the business has to pay you something i kind of look at as as an as an entrepreneur yeah. and when i started you know paying myself and and you know paying my pay my partner Amy, I think it, it changed a little bit just some of the dynamics, right? Because you had to, you know, remember too, you know, Amy and I, you know, in our career, you know, we're both used to making, you know, I, as, as a headhunter, I was making twenty to thirty thousand dollars a month. Um, Amy, you know, in her consulting, you know, before we joined was probably making twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month. And then I opened my business and and I was probably living off of less than five thousand a month for for a good, you know, two to three years, yeah. right? You know, my business might make a hundred thousand dollars in a month, but I'm still live, living off of that sustenance. And and maybe there are some good things, you know, with that. It's a little easier when you don't, didn't have kids back then, which now I do. But I don't know. Um, what are some more things that you know you believe when it comes to that? Yeah. Um. I mean, I mean, I look at it as as ratios, and and I think habits are so powerful. And that's, I guess, one of the biggest things I see working with people and their money it's not a head knowledge, it's in a behavior or an action. And so again, like I always say, like investing, wealth management, personal finance is more akin to, to weight loss than math. Like in our head, we all know how to lose weight. Like don't eat the cheeseburger, you know, put the fries away, go exercise. But the behaviors that come along with that, they cost us something and they're hard to do. Like money is the same way. So I think there's something no matter how much or how little you're making, like again, again, back to the, the richest man in, in Babylon, paying 10% of, of that to, you know, wherever that goes, investing or whatnot, but taking that, I think there's something around the habit of doing that, you know, giving the same way, uh, paying yourself um, as well. Um, but I also look at too, like reinvesting in your business, like sometimes you can slow the growth a little bit to say like, hey, I don't have to go from, hundred thousand to a million dollars of revenue in a year. What if it takes two or three years? Like, again, like I can have less stress on my personal life. I can, you know, spend more time with, with my kids or whatever to get to that journey. Now, you know, that's, that's a personal decision. And I think sometimes there is a time to kind of put the, put the pedal to the metal and go at a certain pace. But Mm -hmm. what I see is so many times entrepreneurs go too fast for too long. They grind till they they grind till they die. Yes, exactly. And what, what, Ultimately, okay, well, you created a, a bigger multiple on your business, but if it costs you your health, if it costs you your sanity, like was was it worth it? And so, so I like I like the seasons yeah. term, right? And so for me, I'll do I'll do a, a grind season, right? And um and I'll make different decisions about that, right? And so for me, that makes a big difference when I say, like, for example, you know, I had chosen not, you know, COVID kind of forced it, but I chose not to go around the country and speak and mm-hmm. and, and and different things. But I felt like recently, you know. I was getting called, you know, like I'm going to go keynote at the crowdfunding week and different things. So I was feeling called, right, to go out and share, you know, our message, also our industry message, which to me is just as important as an alternative REIT, as a non-traded REIT. And and I know you dive into alternative investments and I'll, I'll dive in. But I was feeling that call. It was time to go out. And so I said, I'm going to give a season. 
to see what that is like for our business or what that's like for my family, but I'm only going to give it a season and then I'll, I'll evaluate after that. And then I know like, I'm going to give a season in the spring more to my kids. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to dive deeper into, I'm going to do, you know, run baseball practices with them for, for, you know, they're five and six, by the way, everybody, I'm going to run baseball practices with them for three months and I'm going to do some other athletic and fun things with them and, you know, do some more museums and art stuff with them. And I'm going to dive into that, you know, for three months. And so I love seasonal, seasonal stuff for myself. Um, Have you done, do you do kind of seasons when you look at your kids and and, and life or is that not a concept you've, you've dove in too much? I think it's something I'm becoming more aware of. And just again, like realizing like it's such a short period where, you know, my kids are at the age they're at and like to capture the moments. And, you know, we, we made some intentional decisions over the last couple of years to spend some prolonged time traveling and, you know, call it three weeks to a month. And I'll do a little bit of work, but not, not a lot. I try to be as present as possible and just a realization of, this is a season where 15 years down the road, like that's not going to be an option. And so again, like, is there a cost? Absolutely. It never comes back. It never comes back. Is there a cost to my business? Is there revenue that I could have earned? Probably. But I also feel that as my priorities are in the right place, like my work is more productive when I, when I put it in, when I focus on it. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very aware of that, you know, again, the season's like January, new baby comes. And so what does that look like, man? We're now in a season, I don't say of survival, but, you know, sleepless and anytime there's and- a new baby, <laughs> you go, you go slightly into survival mode. Yeah. So nobody ever yeah. told me when I had my kids and like all these other dads, all these other, they never told me the fatigue or the tiredness, right? Even if you're getting your sleep, even if you're getting sleep, you'll feel, a, you'll feel a fatigue and tiredness yeah. and a joy that, that, that there's nothing else like it. So I call it the foggy, the foggy season <laughs> where there's a fog, but, um, you know, again, like just just being very intentional around the fact that like, Hey, while there's a baby, there's still four other kids and there's two of us. And like, what does that look like to be able to take my foot off the gas, you know, in my role for a period of time or set up the right structures where it functions, you know, while I'm, while I'm not there, but yeah, I am. I'm and so aware. while all this is going on, right. Wealth has to happen. And that, that's the conversation, you know, that I talk about for people as well, you know, this life is happening and while, even starting a business is happening and while different things are happening, right? The, this wealth has to happen. Yeah. And there has to be, there have, these cycles have to be running continuously, almost like, it, like your subconscious runs in different ways, but with your wealth, it's like your subconscious of money has, has, has to be running and at, at, at all times. One of the things I talk about sometimes is time popping. I don't know if you've ever heard that, that phrase. It's kind of like the, like the it's ability for, for time to happen now, mm-hmm. right? Versus over this, like lots of times people put, put, put things out there that I can accomplish this, or I could get to this, or I could do this, or I could make that happen, or this could be the reality someday. And it's not their actual like now reality. Yeah. And so when I think of time popping, I'm thinking about one is, a, is it's like the, what I want to accomplish can be happening now yeah. and versus out in the future or sometime down the road or Eckhart Tolle probably calls it, you know, power of now in different ways. But, uh, you know, for me, I look at that, that, that future as something that's not a reality. And so I look at what, what is now and the ability to condense down times. Like I started thinking about things that could take people years, but how does that happen in a week? Mm-hmm. Or how does that happen in, happen in, in, in a day? Um, when you look at your business and stuff, like what, what kind of things do you want to have? You know, you look at maybe in years, that, that, but it would be really cool if it was today. 
Yeah. Um, again, to go back to kind of that image that I, that I had of the hub and spokes, um, for me, that's 10 different revenue streams from different verticals of my business. And I say bit verticals of my business, cause it wouldn't even have to be something that I'm doing again, passive real estate. Like it's, it's, as I deploy this, here's a return around that, you know, maybe another spoke is hard money loans. Um, I've got a buddy of mine that I've deployed some capital in crypto. Like those are all things where basically I create the wealth and then deploy it, you know, to, to do its thing without my, my needs. So, um, those 10 spokes, I've got kind of a, an idea around a bunch of them and they're all at different parts. Like some of them I've already kind of achieved the stated goal and now it's building the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. Um, also the realization is like, Hey, I can't build 10 things at once. And so as I've started to, to kind of put pen to paper and plan around that, like the realization is like some of these may be for another season. Can't be you. Yes. And some of them can't be. You. Yeah. So some of them are for the future for sure. But, but for me, I've, I've very intentionally designed my personal finances and my business to not have to function based on my effort moving forward. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, it, some of it looks like doing work once and then getting paid for, for two, three, four, five years on that work that's done once. But that's how I've kind of structured things. And, and, and again, some of that says I, I say no to other opportunities that are going to require me now, or that's a different season. But so just biting down on that for people, right? When you look at what Nate was saying, I think it's, it's an important concept because there's all lots of times in business and life or, or what you're going to do in business, there's all these exchanges, right? And you can make an exchange to sell a $10 product, or you can make an exchange to sell a $10,000 product, right? And those are two very, very different things. And both can be, can be successful, but they both have trade-offs. But one of the trade-offs he was talking about right there is what's an action I can take now? What's something I can do now that's going to pay me for years to come that I, that I don't have to continuously work towards versus an act versus something that I have to do over and over to get paid. And so as you, exchange your time or you exchange your energy and your effort making a decision on something that 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 continuously produces right can sometimes be more work but maybe it's not maybe it's the same amount of work as something that was going to produce for you once and not yeah. continue to produce for you so as you look at the decisions you're making with your business or your money or your wealth that's it's just an important you know i think it's a great nugget for for, for people alternative investments i mean i know this is where you first came to us, right? As your, you know, side chick, you know, when it came to real estate funds, you were going to invest in. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nate first came to us, I, and I correct me if I'm wrong, because you had um, some good, you know, some investors who had done well in some real estate funds. You had referred them to, um, but now they were kind of like, well, we want to diversify in in real estate, and we need you to find another alternative place to invest in too. Yeah, and um. That was part of it. And the other gap that I've seen where rad meets, meets the niche is for non-accredited. And again, like most of the people that I work with are accredited investors that have a certain level of affluence or, or net worth, but there's a lot that aren't. And for me, I'm well, always there's a big range, right? With that from zero to a million and net worth is a big range, right? Yes. People that have a couple hundred thousand to invest are still not necessarily accredited investors. Should they have less opportunity oh. than people that are accredited? I, I, I don't think so, but there's, there's rules in place for that. And, and, I, and I agree for you with you. And, you know, my background is I've always been an investment guy. I was never necessarily a real estate investment guy until I actually really looked at it and started to say, wow, I want to actually deploy my own capital here. And that's actually is a real good fit for For others. some trolls on social media start judging me, right? 
my firm belief is that a person with a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars shouldn't should have the same opportunities and same vehicles to invest in as a person with ten million dollars, right? They should be able to make the same kind of returns and have the same kind of paths and avenues. That's our our fundamental belief before they start, you know, running in their chat boxes. So <laughs> go ahead. And and so that was kind of my journey in looking at real estate and tax benefits and uh, income, you know, and stability of value and part part of my journey um, with my own dollars is, uh, you know, I've, I've I managed money in the stock market. I've had my own money in the stock market, but just realizing how many variables are out of your control. Like, let's go back to our former president and a tweet comes out that says the wrong thing. Oh, that impacts the stock market. Okay, well, Russia, Ukraine, the values change, the Fed, like there's all these things that regardless are never gonna be out of control. So I started looking at it like risk reward I think it's Tony Robbins that talks about asymmetrical bets. And again, typically as risk and reward go up, like the more you risk, the more potential return. Um, it's not always the case. And so there's sometimes asymmetrical risk reward where you don't take incremental risk, but the return profile, you can get rewarded still. And vice versa, there's some things where you take incremental risk, but the reward is very, very small. And so I started just looking at our financial structure and how a lot of people are investing their money and just saying like, I don't like some of the ways that it's been done for the last 50 years. I don't want to do that with my own money and what are my alternatives? And so that kind of led me into the world of like- So if you're grading investments, right? I'm not a financial advisor. If you're grading investments, right? The, you might, you know, on a risk factor of one through 10, right? A 10 being the highest, then definitely the reward you would want to be a 10, right? Yes. Um, if you're willing to take that kind of risk, like everything's in buckets. So we have our high risk and low risk buckets. But if it's a low risk bucket, what you're kind of doing is you're taking a look at, well, what are the potential rewards in a low risk bucket? If the low risk bucket reward is only a one, then, then you know, maybe that's still a, a decent investment, right? It's, it's stable. It's conservative, right? It's something, you know, because you need to balance your investments diversified, right, through, through your portfolio. But if there's a risk factor of a one and there's a potential reward of a seven, I mean, it, it, that's, that's kind of what you're talking about, yes. right? Yeah. So imagine if there was, you know, a, a risk factor of a two or three, but the reward was still a seven or eight. We'll compare that to a, a risk that's a seven or eight and the rewards a seven or eight. Like I'm going to take the one that's a, a two or three on the risk side and I'm still going to get those returns. And so, again, I felt like part now, of as my, a financial advisor, you can give those kind of recommendations. Me, this is not in, in my, is, <laughs> in my position, right? If yeah. I tell anybody, you know, everything's a 10 in risk. Everything is, is, is yeah. highly risky and all investments can, can potentially, you know, be, be, be lost. Right. That's, that's the world I have to, I have to live in as a, as a, as a, as a REIT runner, even though I yep. believe in making, you know, lower risk, lower risk investments with high rewards. So, so disclosures, that's my belief that what they are right now. So, yeah. And I'll throw in the disclosure. This is not individual financial advice, but I mean, to, to be clear, like I am licensed where I charge people pay me to give them financial advice. And that's, you know, part, part of how my business is built. So I am able to opine on that in an individual situation. Everyone's circumstance and, and situation is different. And the other part too is everyone's psychology is different. And so people could have the same fact and pattern, but the advice could be completely different because again, like success with investing is behavior. And so again, if there's a, a, a higher risk investment where someone can't stay the course, during a market correction, okay, well, if they're going to take chips off the table at the wrong time, that's going to be the worst thing to do. So sometimes that psychology for an investor is, is huge as far and as what chips off the table at the wrong time is what a lot of people do. 
Yeah. And people who put the chips on the table at the right time, they win, right? Yep. If, you know, no one to hold them, no one to fold them, the gambler by uh, uh, Kenny, Kenny Rogers, right? Saying the names, right? Yeah. So um, I'm usually not in a music mindset when I'm doing these <laughs> things, right? So it, it, it's fascinating, though, because cryptos are definitely a place where yeah. people have put their chips in at the wrong time. I yeah. can't tell you how many of my employees or how many of our team or how many people that are around my circles have wanted me to, you know, give them money to go invest in crypto, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what happens to so many people is they act after yes. the moment, after the influence, after the market change, after the shift, and then they're trying to catch the market. And they spend so much time trying to catch the market that they, they, they screw themselves. And, and, and so therein lies the magic of putting the chips at the right time is you have to move before the market moves. And if you get it wrong, then you get it wrong. But if you move before the market, it's the only time you have a chance to truly, truly get it right. I, I know there's plenty of people out there that might have you know, different voices or opinions yeah. on that. It's a good one. It's a good, good debatable subject. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think it's huge. Like, are you being driven by fear or are you being driven by greed? I would say. Or by knowledge. Or by knowledge. Yeah. Fear and greed are, are both not good barometers to, to operate by. I mean, for me, like my, my story with crypto is like, hey, I. I believe in the technology. Like I think blockchain technology is something that is changing and going to continue to change the world now. Okay. How does Bitcoin, how does Ethereum, how does all those factor in it? I think we're so early in the game. Still, there's a lot to be um, uncovered. For me personally, I dabbled in crypto and I had some education around it. And my story was I had my crypto at the wrong exchange. Things happen and that money went like that and is gone. And, you know, I look at that as like, okay, that was tuition. So now my strategy with crypto is I actually have a friend who's very knowledgeable in the business and has a technology background, knows how to secure it the right way, knows how to look as well as you can ahead of the curve. And I said like, hey, I don't want to spend the time or effort learning all this myself or managing it. Like I'm going to find, and, and this is really my philosophy with all of my investment, find good operators that can do, spend, you know, the 600 grand a month to find deals. That I'm never going to be able to get access to, and I'm going to understand them well, get comfortable with who they are. Yeah, as our, people our budget for finding real estate deals is, is, is larger than any amount of yes. money that people would normally even invest, right? And and so you know you know it's multiple six figures we spend on our, our budget to just in deal finding. Um, like when we looked at crypto, you know, I went and hired two full time researchers, and that's all I had them do was researching the trends, the history, the market. Of, of crypto and those kind of things before we even touched it, yeah. you know, with the fingers to, to, to gain knowledge and make knowledge decisions. It's it, but it's also part of that knowledge is principles. And I think when you have fundamental principles with investing, like for me, some of my real estate principles is like an easy one for one of my acquisition guys, never negotiate against yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. If we make an offer, make them make a count offer. Don't go and offer against yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that sounds like, like a simple one, but it's, it's pretty, pretty important. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we don't buy, we don't buy retail, you know, yeah. it's just, we absolutely refuse to, to buy retail. If I buy from real estate agents, sure. But there's real estate agents that are, that are selling assets that aren't, that aren't retail in, in different ways. And so we don't, we don't buy retail. I'll fight and claw. And, and, and the last market was probably the hardest one in my adult lifetime to not buy retail because it was yeah. hyperinflation. Right. And, but for us as a real estate company refused, like I was talking to a, but we were interviewing accountants, right. And I was talking to an accountant yesterday. I was interviewing him and they were talking about their farmland stuff and they're buying, you know, stuff at, you know, 
10, 12, $14,000 an acre. And I'm just thinking to myself, you guys are a REIT yeah. and you're buying stuff at retail or above retail in a lot of ways. It depends on what they're buying. But, but I was talking to him and I'm thinking to myself, we, we bought our last three farms for $3,500 to $4,000 an acre because, you know, we're not buying on market. We're buying off market. We're yep. looking at value add situations. And so every real estate property we look at has a value add. Where's the value we can add to it? Square footage, income, different things. And so those are, those are principles. So with investing, what would you say are some great fundamental principles for, for people? Those are some of my real estate ones, but investing across the board, what are some fundamental principles? Yeah. I mean, I think to me, one of the foundational things is where are you at stage of life? And so again, so identify the goal. Well, yeah. What's, what's the goal. And then and again, I look at it. If, if you get something wrong, do you have time to recover. And so that's very different from my parents that just moved into retirement and what they have is what they have versus, you know, myself, I'm like, Hey, I've got 30 more years of income earning ability. Um, so I would say one, it's understand the season where you're at and what that looks like. And then um, the other part is, is where do you place, you know, and there's all this talk around diversification That's and that's huge, but how much goes where, what does that look like? And so many people are like, Hey, I'm going to be diversified. I'm going to own 20 different well, stocks. It's, it's like the term of leverage. What does yeah. leverage really? Yes. Mean? You know, it could mean a lot of different things. And, and if it's clearly defined, you know, I, I, it, it means something different than diversification, which can be just 20 different stocks, which isn't diversification. Yeah. It's diversified stocks, but it's yes. not diversification. Yeah. And you know, even, even stocks, like I own 20 different stocks. Well, they're all financials. They're all going to act similarly. Okay. Well, it's five financials and five industrials and consumer staples. Like that's, that's different. I'd still say that's not diversified because you're not diversified across an asset class, but that's better than, you know, the 20, the 20 bank stocks. Um, the, the other part I would say for investors is, and, and this has been a journey for me, um, realizing there's things that I'm believing and acting on that aren't true. And like, I'm at a different place than where I was 10 years ago. And like, I've got a better grasp on certain ideas. And so again, I think investors are their own worst enemy a lot of times. And so I would say like, where are you taking your information from? And like, who can you trust? And like, I think that who can you trust is a huge thing. Um, Cause again, like I'm never going to be able to put enough time into medical knowledge to, to be able to have the same perspective or understanding as a doctor. It's just not what I'm going to do. So I could spend all the time researching WebMD, whatever. I'm never going to get there. I look at financials the, the same way as like, there's people, you know, let's, let's just talk about someone who's got 20, 30 years in the business and has done a thousand hours. I mean, that's time where they've got perspective. And so again, finding someone that you can trust. Um, I like to work with people that I'd say have the heart of a teacher. Like people don't have to always understand the ins and the outs of everything that is being done within their investment strategy, but I want them to understand like, here's what we're doing and why, but what voices are you listening to? And again, I, I meet a lot of people that CNBC is on all the time and they're getting driven by, you know, the media and what's happening and that's impacting and making the decisions. Um, so I, I think uh, understanding the seasonal life where you get information and then how are you deploying it? Like is, is a whole nother piece. And again, like growth, income, stability, there's all these different stuff where you're at and kind of the, the overall financial picture. Like once you kind of reach a certain level, like I look at, like you've got the foundation, the walls from your house, you've got options as far as like, Hey, am I going to build this brick? Am I going to build this, you know, wood frame? What, what finishes am I going to do? Like, there's a lot of that stuff where I'm like, Hey, it comes, 
my view comes down to preference around that. And so, you know, what does that look like? Um, but I think it's finding a good team around you as well that can help you um, on the journey. And then ultimately, if you're in a scenario where you can't make the decisions, like what does that look like where someone can step in and kind of help you moving forward? I don't know if that answers at all what you're looking for. It never answers at all, right? And I think that's a great point. I was just thinking like nothing answers at all, right? Yeah. I, I've been in the real estate game since 2006 and made money in it since then. And, you know, I was on a podcast, you know, two days ago with 1031 Exchange Company, uh, Ricky Ricky Guerrero. Did I get that name right, you guys? Yeah, Ricky Guerrero, great guy, great knowledge, mm-hmm. good information. And I'm like, I've known 1031s. I've helped conduct 1031s. I've been a part of 1031s, right? And he's yeah. sharing me some 1031 information, right? If those of you don't know, 1031 essentially when you sell an asset, when you sell a piece of real estate, right? Um, can you reinvest that money into another another asset and not have to pay capital gains taxes, you know, in, in that immediate moment, yeah. right? And there's, but there's other things I've learned about that over years, like an opportunity zone fund is something I learned about because, you know, a pretty wealthy investor of ours sold part of his company. And he said, Dutch open an opportunity yeah. zone fund, or I'm going to invest some money with someone else besides you, because I don't want to pay my capital gains. I want it to invest and I want it to grow. So, and, and that was, you know, two years ago and now I'm very familiar and very yeah. in depth with him. But so the, the journey of the knowledge part of it doesn't change. And then the laws with the IRS change too. Yes. And IRA laws and 401k laws change. So, you know, I think, I think there's never the only answer, but I think there is, a lot of fundamentals that you've shared today that are important. Yeah. And what I'm going to do actually is I'm going to take our podcast today and I'll, I'll put a link into the chat for people. I'm going to take every little thing that I, that I, that I think is a nugget mm. and we're going to put them, we're going to drop them into a PDF, uh, a set of notes for people from, from, from the podcast. I think, think that'll be a good, you know, giveaway yeah. for people. Something people can download, I'm not asking for your, you know, email address or something that you will just put a link. You just download it. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think that, it, I think there's some, some, some great, some great nuggets here. Um, can I, can I share one thought? Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said just illustrates the truth that I was talking about where up in, you know, you've been in real estate for how long, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. and up until recently. And kind was, of born into it too. Yes. Cause as a kid, my parents were agents, they were investors, you know, they, you know, owned apartments, then lost apartments and they own houses, then lost houses. They were great at, you know, yeah. getting into things and getting out, but but most of my, most of my life in different ways. So you've been doing this a long time, second generation. And up until recently, there was something that you were believing around 1031s that you thought was true. That wasn't. Yep. And so again, like I would, I would challenge everyone. We all have that same stuff. And so, you know, again, you've got to filter information, but also be open to say like, Hey, there's something that I'm believing today where I may not be lined up. And I think once you approach it with every investor that ever came to me with a 1031 said to me, and this is just one of the things I learned was you have to do one-to-ones, right? So if you sell a property, you have to invest into one property and that that's what it was and that was wrong, yeah. right? You can you can sell a property and then disperse that and invest into three properties. You can sell a property and take part of those proceeds and invest it into a property and then pay taxes on another different portion of it and take money. So there's these hybrids, right? With 1031s that was, that was enlightening to me because that wasn't something that any 1031 lawyer or which they probably knew it, but they had never said it to yeah. their to their people. Um, maybe because it makes it much more complicated. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But so yeah, those are those were just some of the nuggets. Yeah, but I never stopped pursuing. I think yeah. that's whether you're day one of building wealth or, or day ten thousand of building wealth. Ten thousand would make you pretty old. Was that thirty yeah. years? No, I don't know what that is. Yeah, at least thirty years for thirty, forty years, thirty years. Um, 
but whether you're on day 10,000, you know, it, it's the, the pursuit never, ne never, never ends. I think that's important. I mean, you're still pursuing it. Yeah. I'm still pursuing it. I think I'll pursue it till the, till the day I leave, you know, and it's something that's enjoyable. And I also, I also think we're designed to, we're designed for, for creation. We're designed to, to walk things out. And like, again, you know, I can't tell you how many people I work with that have moved out of a career and into retirement and then they're back into something because we're just designed to do stuff. Um, and so I look at my wealth creation, my wealth journey. I'm like, Hey, it's going to look different when I'm 80, but I still want to be involved. I still want to be doing stuff. I still want to be teaching the next generation or the generation after that, you know, and, and I'm very grateful for people in my life that have, I've been able to look to and say like, Hey, 20 years from now, I want my life to look like that. And how do I kind of take the insight and, and the knowledge and the lessons that you've learned? And if it's a bad one, like not go down that path. If it's a good one, kind of follow after that. So I'm very grateful for that. And down the road, I want to be that for other people as well. What are your um, watch outs for people? Like, like, what do they need to watch out for? I think there's a lot of, so for me, something I, you know, have struggled with at different times is, you know, we're a very regulated, very audited, we're a security, we're not, you know, non-traded, we're a public company, right? So to get the, to this point, you know, took forever yeah. and, and took a lot of work and took doing things a certain way. And then I go next to the, you know, Los Angeles Real Estate Expo, right? And I see a guy with a sign on a booth talking about, you know, percent returns and, and doing stuff illegally, right? But percent returns and, and, and different, different things. And, and, then, and then, you know, somebody's cousin. And so, you know, for me, you know, that's always been a frustration for me because the difference between what we are and what that is are two, two, yeah. two different worlds. So what are your watch outs? What are your watch outs for people? Yeah, I mean, and I think this is, this is prevalent in like, I mean, it, it's, it's prevalent as well in, in the stock market. I think as you move into pri private deals, it becomes more. Um, I've always told people that if there's like a fear of loss where you've, you've got to do it today or you've got to do this in the week. Absolutely. That's, that's a, that's a red flag. And I always tell people like, there's always going to be a deal and there's always going to be something that makes sense. It's not going to look exactly the same, but the timing has got to be right for you and you've got to be comfortable enough within it. And I think, you know, that's, that's a big thing where people got in trouble with crypto. It's like, Hey, this fear loss, like, Hey, everything's going to the moon. And like, I got to jump on or GameStop. I mean, I watched the Netflix doc documentary on, on GameStop and it was just eye opening to see like the herd mentality, like people get in and then like the carnage that ensued around that. And a lot of that was because there wasn't that. And check. people don't realize that there's people that are creating intentionally creating the herd mentality to take advantage of this. And so if you're following where, where everything's being pushed, then you're following. And, and one, you know, one of our investors said to me once, he's like, Dutch, how do you see things or how do you know what to do or what to go through? Well, I said, well, I have a, I have a, I have a doctorate in BS, right? And, and, all the years of working with thought leaders and gurus and all the years of consulting, right? I could, there's so many that were good and so many that weren't. And, and so even when I look at the news or I read the headlines or I see, you know, the Republicans pushing something or the Democrats pushing something, or I see, you know, the vaccination world pushing something, the non-vaccination world, like I can read be between a lot of the lines yeah. and, and a lot of the BS. And if you're following the push, there is a push. If you, if you look at the AP, you look at different things, there's pushes and it'll come from one from one side, one from the other. You follow the push, you're always you're always gonna lose. Yeah, you're always gonna lose. Yeah. So so again, like I I think if you're emotionally experiencing that and feeling that, there's just a pause, a stop, and recalibrate, and then and then look at it, and maybe the answer is no, or maybe the answer is not now. 
And then once, you know, you're not experiencing those emotions, because I mean, emotions, emotions cloud our decision making and, and everything. And, you know, investing is, is no different. But I would say specifically in like the non-publicly traded space, like that's that's a big deal. And then as you get into networks and connections, there's always someone that's got this unique thing and like tell people like, don't. And, you know, for me, like I, I look at tuition, like there's been stuff where I look back and said, oh, man, I, I made the wrong decision or like I was influenced by that. And like, again, it's it's tuition. The other thing I would say is, again, like the analogy of like poker, like as long as you have a chip and a, and a seat, like you're still in the game. And so what does that look like when it comes to investing? Like if something goes against you, it's like that bad beat. Hey, I had a 99% chance of success, but that 1% takes you out. Like you've got to measure your, your chips in a way where you can survive because really staying in the game is one of the biggest, the biggest things. And so that comes down to, to risk management, to diversification. Um, and, and I, I personally place like concentrated stuff. You know, and like Warren Buffett is another one to say like, hey, you know, we're going to place concentrated bets and things we know and understand. On the flip side, they're like, hey, let's let's take a a stock that's run up. Like at what point do you remove risk and take chips off the table or crypto is another thing. OK, well, I just 10, 20 X my money. OK, well, it can go back down and you can lose 95 percent from here. So what's the discipline as far as like measuring measuring your investments? And, and, and I, I look like? at things in a, in a worst case best case, most likely scenario, all, all investments. I look at those three things and I say, worst case scenario, can I get my money back? Worst case scenario is there's still an asset here, mm -hmm. right? When I invest in, in, in to businesses, the, the, to me, the, the risk factor, no matter what the business is inherently goes up for me. And it's probably because I'm a, you know, a, a child of the 2008 crash in the sense that like, like that was my first time in my life. I was really investing. And I looked at, you know, hundred year companies that disappeared yeah. yep. and, and then their assets went over to other, other, other companies, but at least they still had assets. Right. But when I invest, I always look at, you know, my piece of real estate and I say, what's the worst case scenario here? What's the worst thing that can happen. Right. Yeah. And if the worst thing is, is that there's a, um, you know, sinkhole to the center of the earth and, and my property disappears, you know, well, well, at least what's my insurance, right. As my backup, mm -hmm. Um, on on that piece of property and, and and you know maybe i won't make the upside that i was planning on but at least yeah. my insurance will cover my initial investment i I'm, I'm okay with that being my worst case then my best case obviously like you were saying you know it's all about looking at you know what are the different potential rewards from the different potential investments and weighing that decisions but what people struggle with is a small amount of data yes and so they only see one investment or they only see one asset. You'll never feel the pressure from someone pressuring you to invest if you're looking at a large amount of investments because because you get it. But if you're only yep. if you only happen to get referred to, you know, your cousin Joe's, you know, friend who who has this company that has some tax liens or has some stocks or has some crypto that you could you could invest in. And that's your only perspective as your cousin Joe's friend, then that person can pressure you. Yeah. And they can they can create fear and they can create scarcity. Mm -hmm. But if you have your cousin Joe, then you, and I'm not saying that person couldn't be good. They could be good. But you have your cousin Joe, then you have your, your financial planner, and then you have, you know, other other resources that you've gone and found yourself, you know, alternative investments to invest into, right? And you have this variety. Now you have a lot of different things, or you have 10 cousin Joes to yeah. look at. Now you can start to have the ability to discern between some of the different investments and people like that seems really 
overwhelming, what would you tell them? Yeah. Um, I mean, just, just perspective and having conversations and going slow. And again, you know, you don't have to understand everything, but I think what you're trying to do is, is find things that meet your preference and risk profile around that. And so, you know, I, I look at, okay, uh, to do a, a reggae, what are all the hoops you have to jump through where there's checks and balances and, and oversight around that? Or let's talk about a custodian. Okay. In order to get on a custodian's platform where you can deploy capital through that, like, what does that look like? There's other eyes and ears on that that have different perspective and really their goal is to protect investors around that. So I think, again, it comes back to like the source and like, where is that starting point as far as looking at investment opportunities? Um, one of the things for me that's been eye-opening is if you look at like the endowment model as far as how, you know, these big endowments are investing their dollars, what are they putting it in? You know, it's not just stocks and bonds, you know, there's, there's, there's farmland and there's timber and there's probably oil and gas and there's private equity and all that stuff. And you can just Google like Yale endowment model or, or, or Harvard endowment model and see like it's, it's public have you, information. Have you seen successful investments in oil, gas, gold, gold mines? Those, there's something that I've always found like in, in my research, right? I've always found so much crap. Right. I've always struggled with wanting to put any yeah. money into those. Have you ever found any good ones in that that, that arena? It's and I'm not talking about just buying gold as a commodity. Yeah, that's yeah. a different thing. Uh personally, it's not anything I've I've invested in or looked really deeply into. For me, like there's a few asset classes where I want to understand them intimately and then find like good operators in that space and like hitch my carriage to that horse and and go. And like that's the decision that I've made because um I feel like as I understand the decisions that are being made, as I understand who's making those decisions, like things aren't always going to go right. And like one of the biggest things I see, let's call it in the non-public space, like I, a buddy of mine sent me a slide deck for a, um, a new startup that looked great. But I said, like, there's so many potential provisions in this hundred pages of documents, you're never going to find all the gotchas. And so again, like if I don't have relationship and trust that person, I pr probably would not put my own capital on it, even if it looked like a really good business opportunity, because I want to understand who's making the decisions and as things, if, and when things go wrong, are they going to look at taking care of themselves at the expense of the investor? Or are they going to look to soften the blow? And so, that, that for me is huge. And so, so oil and gas, I've not, I've not found anything where I've been comfortable. So there, there was a moment for me in my, my career as a, as a, as a entrepreneur, as an executive, we were consulting a company. And I, and I kid you not, I had just literally just read Richest Man on Babylon. And we had helped consult this company, which for us was we would have outsourced services they would use. And this is like 2014, I think, roughly. Mm -hmm. We've been consulting this company. And they, on a Monday, they hired uh, a new CEO. And he came out, flew out to our offices in, in California when, when I still live there. And he uh, met with us. And at the end of the meeting, he walked away and he says, you know, I've made a decision not to use any outsourcing services any longer. And the day after that, I had to fire 22 people. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in that moment, I go and I, it's like, I can't believe this. Like, we had such a relationship with the founders. We built this together, right, over the last 18 months. Like, I was, you know, I don't, I don't think my heart could have crushed any more than when you've had, when you've had to lay off, lay off those people, right? And, and, and good people had done nothing wrong. I had fired people before, but I never really fired yeah. people who had not done anything, you know. And, 
and, and in that moment, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, and I so I go into a deep dive into this guy who's a CEO, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, he's never run a he's never run a successful company, and the last three companies he's been part of are all out of business, and then that's eating me up, you know, even more. And so I send this letter off, you know, to the founder. I'm like, I, I understand the decisions we respected. I just want you, to, you know, to be aware of, you know, this move's gonna gonna hurt you know, in, in the long run. And I look at that when you're looking at startups mm. and it comes back to whether you invest in a startup or not, like what's, it doesn't matter how cool the idea is, how cool the concept is. It doesn't matter how good, right? Real estate is a vehicle to, for people to invest into. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people, millions of people investing into real estate in America. And, but, but the difference between proven track record history yeah. of success and, and being successful at what they're just because you were successful at um, running a tech company in Silicon Valley doesn't mean you're going to be successful at being a real estate investor. Yeah. Right. And, and so for me with those startup companies, I think one of the most important thing as people do their oil check on founders yes. is, is whether they have a proven track record of success in the niche, right. Mm -hmm. That, that, that they're very great at. Right. I had a proven track record and success in history in info marketing, right? In 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 the thought leader space, in the, especially the real estate um, thought leader space, consulting real estate companies. But my own portfolio of real estate is where I had the real estate portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. But then I had to I had to grind through one regulation, then another regulation, and then another regulation to finally get to a Reg A. And so the difference between that journey and and someone brand new is something I I think I constantly, you know battle with when it comes to when it comes to you know investors ability to discern between good yeah. and, and bad investments as a financial advisor how do you change someone's mind when they're so bit down on an investment that you know is like not meeting all the check boxes you know that's 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 a really good question um So, so I, I would look at it that if I'm in a relationship with that person, it's different than if it's a prospect. And like, sometimes mm -hmm. I'll make, I'll make the decision with this person. Like I understand what you're saying and why you're saying it. But the reality is like, you're, you're taking information and you've got a false belief around that. Is it worth my time and effort to try to change that opinion? Sometimes yes. Sometimes no. Um, a real life example is a, a, a widow I work with and, um, her husband had passed away and she was still relatively young, probably in her fifties, but the portfolio, when I took it over, her husband had bought everything. And so she was like, she had emotional ties, to every single stock in there. And I remember having all these conversations with her around, you're telling me you don't want risk. Like this is all risk stuff. And you're telling me like, you want to do this, but you're not allowing me to do anything. And I had to filter to say like, Hey, if here's the goal where we're going and we're right here, are you going to at least take one step in that direction? And if you're going to take one step in the direction, even if it's a way slower pace than I would want, I'm going to continue working with you. If you ever stop and we're not going in a place you're telling me you want to go like that for me is like, we're, we're probably not right for working together. So I would say sometimes um, it's just a little bit at a time. Other times just look at it and say like, Hey, so hard for entrepreneurs to, yeah. to walk away from clients. It is. And what a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize is the the clients you walk away from are the ones that will make you the most amount of money. And like that, yes. for me, the first time with it, with our, with our inner circle and our rules with our inner circle, the first time, you know, I forced refunded, right. Um, 
a member, I was like, man, we're giving up you know, a chunk of change right there and also potential future assets under management. But then I went and looked at like three or four that I should have done that for. I looked at the headache and the time mm -hmm. and the effort and the resistive you know, battle with that. And I said to myself, I said, all right, we're going to do this the next two or three times we feel this way. And, and now over the years, we've kept that policy. And I, I, I'll tell you the getting rid of the, the, the small headache, getting to, so, so that, and, and not worrying about, you know, that money is, is huge. Yeah. It's huge. And I've, I carry that over like in, in like our real estate business and things. And like, we, we never, we do everything impossible to avoid a battle or avoid a war or avoid a confrontation or avoid an unhappy customer, right? Everything possible because, because it's just not worth it. Yeah. It's just not worth it. And, and again, that's, that illustrates my point is like to filter, like what, when things don't go the way you're supposed to, like, how are you treating that person? Like for me, like understanding that and seeing like, okay, they're going to take care of someone. And it's not just like, well, these are the terms and like, you know, go pound sand like that to me is huge. And so again, if you can understand how those decisions are going to be made or who it, to me comes back to character and integrity, the character integrity of the founders, like of an organization, like, that gives me a lot more confidence around that. But um, no, I think it comes back to just uh, people taking advice and, and actions. And you know, if I can continue to help them down the path, I mean, sometimes this is a, a long, long journey to get people from where they need to be to where they're, where they're wanting to go similar to health. You know, sometimes that journey is, is years to get there. And if we can kind of walk in the right direction, even if it's not the, at the pace that would be optimal, like I'm probably going to continue to, help educate and I don't say change a person's mind, but enlighten them around why we're doing what we're doing. All right, brother, that was nails. We hit it. You know, I think you did, you gave so many nuggets. It's, I think it's one of the best, you know, hour sessions we've done um, with anybody as far as how many nuggets people can pull out of it. So I appreciate it. appreciate you taking the time. And, and I look forward to um, what I would love to see. And I haven't ever asked for this in one of our podcasts, right? I would love to see, all of you who watch it, like who are part of it, right? Whether it's you see it on YouTube or you see it on Spotify or wherever else, anywhere you can chat and, and throw some future questions. Nate's going to come. I'm going to have Nate on again, right? And some things about money, financial advice, right? All of you know that I spend a great deal of time in the relationship with money. And it, it, it's a fascinating dynamic because there's the, the, the processes and then there's emotions and then there's you know how you're raised and there's so many components to it and so uh, feel free to throw some questions in, in in the box um and and i'll make sure the next time we come in we kind of load those up and bring those with us um but but nate thanks and i look forward to continued prosperous future with you brother my pleasure thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to the rad podcast explore wealth if you would like more information visit our website that's www.raddiversified.com that's www.raddiversified.com. If you enjoyed what you're listening to, leave us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more content, visit our YouTube channel, The Rad Podcast. Explore wealth.